2: Dr. Kate Pate is a neurophysiologist that works in the military mental health space. You're thinking, Robbie, why, why do you have a neurophysiologist on the podcast? Well, Kate recently decided to join the tribe that is us as hunters, and had the thoughtfulness of obviously posting her hunt to her community. And as you can imagine, lost a bunch of people, but also at the same time realized how amazing the hunting community can be. And so I wanted to have a really good heart to heart conversation with Kate. Naturally, get a little nerdy because she has a PhD in neurophysiology and really understand some of the neurophysiological pathways tied to hunting and the outdoors and mental health. But also ask her why? Why did you decide? to go from being a non-hunter to being a hunter. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting.
1: It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just
2: Killing animals.
1: How do hey. I start
2: it? Brittany, my name is... <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years, is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. <laughs> Are you experiencing these, like, minus 50 degree temperatures? Yes. Are you serious? Oh,
1: yeah. and, I, and I'm looking outside. I'm actually looking out a window right here, and it's snowing, and it's negative it's 20 now. It's going to keep getting colder. But I have ice inside around the edges of my window it's crazy
2: so my my south african ass would be like (laughs) frozen beyond belief like we're about to experience i think a low of five in memphis tennessee and the boys are hoping and praying for snow like this is the thing like this is the i've got an 11 year old and i've got a nine year old and they are just like we want the snow bring the snow. Oh yeah.
1: Yep. It's crazy. I mean, I was looking at the temps across the states and in the south and I was I mean, I grew up in Florida and mm. family in, you know, the Carolinas and Georgia and stuff and and I we never saw temperatures that cold. I mean, that's people must be freaking out. You guys must be losing it.
2: Yeah, I think traffic will come to a standstill uh once the wintry mix hits. <laughs> hits
1: yeah. The streets. That's the fun part.
2: <laughs> but yep. um now we're excited. It's uh I'm just not built for the cold, man. I've had these arguments with people. I'm just I'll take heat any day because and I say this with a caveat now. I'll take heat any day because I can always feel like I can get cool. Versus when I'm cold, I can't seem to get warm. Now, granted, you can do exercises and whatnots to get yourself warm, but once I'm cold, I'm cold. Like my fingers hurt, my feet hurt, I'm just like. But we did experience significant heat in zambia we just came back from zambia and i got myself and the whole crew got heat stroke um oh no damn it was it was bad news man i've never experienced it and we're on a in on an aluminum barge with no protection in the middle of a lake from 10 a.m to like 3 p.m and the air temperature was 44 c oh man Yeah. We were in bad shape. We got cooked. We got cooked and I could not get cool. Like the next day, again, it was 44 degrees. The wind was like a hair blow. It was like a hairdryer was blowing on you. I lay on the concrete floor on the outside dining room to see if I could get like a degree cooler in the middle of the day to try and sleep.
1: Yeah, that's like my worst nightmare. I'm the opposite of you. I the the heat is is my nemesis. And it's funny cuz I grew up in Florida where it's hot and humid all the time, but I don't know. I just I belong in the cold mountain air. <laughs> Something about it.
2: <laughs> well, uh let me get this straight. Kate. Now I'm going to mess up your last name. So this it's is s-
1: easy. It's Pate? just it's, it Kate Pate.
2: Nice. I got it right. Um actually, yeah. it's it's not Kate Pate. It's Dr. Kate Pate, Um, (laughs) yes. Welcome to the Blood Origin podcast. I'm I'm very very excited um, for this conversation because I love them. Because, and I I guess in in the introduction, I I should also say welcome to the tribe.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'm honored to be here. I've been looking forward to this.
2: Do you want to give a a, a, just a brief introduction to who you are? I could read your bio. It's pretty impressive. But I will. uh, I'll let you. Go ahead and introduce yourself
1: <laughs> sure um i yeah i i'm as you said uh, dr kate paid i have a phd in neurophysiology so a lot of what i've been doing in my career has been medical research and teaching and more recently been focused for the past eight years on military medical research and um, also coaching in the military veteran and first responder space in mostly in regards to health and wellness but focusing a lot on traumatic brain injury. Um so that's kind of my my career. who do, you, who do you
2: work for Kate?
1: Work for myself.
2: Really? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I founded I founded a company with my business partner that does the military medical research and we get government grants to do that work and then the coaching is is just me. Sure
2: sure of mm-hmm. course. Um mm-hmm. when did you grad when did you get your PhD in your physiology?
1: In 2010.
2: Man, so you've been you've been at it for When did I get I we got our PhDs about the same time. I um two thousand and I arrived in Mississippi in two thousand and three to start a PhD and finished out, graduated out in two thousand and seven, didn't did a postdoc for a year and a half and then Mm -hmm. got hired as a professor uh in two thousand and nine, first job out the gate. So very cool. Yeah, a lot of people yeah, don't, don't understand that PhD process, man. It is a... No. It's and a the booger postdoc. Bear.
1: I mean, the postdoc was also pretty painful. It's just, you know, you're you're working for peanuts and peanuts. You know, you're just like constantly stressed. And oh man, it's it's pretty rough.
2: What's the best part of a, a professor's job is to hire a postdoc because you're just like, you go do all that work. I'm not paying you squat, but you just exactly. you need the resume. Go do it. So...
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. So you didn't uh, I must again, so when I say welcome to the tribe to give everybody a context, uh you recently have decided to become a hunter.
1: hmm
2: Well can just give me a little bit of background to like growing up. Did you not get exposed to hunting? What was what was that like in, in growing well, up in Florida?
1: Yeah, we we didn't. My family doesn't hunt. Um and it wasn't a part I mean, there was never really a discussion around it. There's definitely no no anti-hunter sentiments in my mm-hmm. family at all. It just wasn't a part of our family culture. Um, firearms were. and I you know, my dad was in the military. I have two brothers who served and uncles, grandfathers, lots of military background in my family. And so we did have firearms growing up, and we would go shoot targets and things like that. I really enjoyed archery when I was a little kid, but it was, you know, tiny, tiny little uh, old recurve bow and um, targets and wasn't anything, you know, big or elaborate or even common. Really, it was sort of sporadic when we did it, but that was, um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, firearms weren't an unknown entity for me, but the hunting thing, you know, we, I don't, don't, (laughs) that came from me it wasn't really anything that i adopted from family or even friends i didn't have any friends like when i decided i wanted to hunt i was living in colorado at the time i'm I'm currently in montana i've been in montana for a year and a half Mm -hmm. and when i was in colorado that's when i decided i wanted to hunt but at the time you know i was a mountain biker and climber and skier and snowboarder and i didn't have you know the friends who did those activities weren't part of the hunting community but Um,
2: why did you decide you wanted to hunt? Like why all of a sudden did you just wake up one morning and be like, ah, I feel like I'm going to be a hunter today.
1: (laughs) No, it was sort of a, a, something that was building over time. It sort of paralleled my desire to connect more with nature and connect more with myself. Like I, I've been, I'm a pretty introspective person and it almost felt like the more reflection I did and trying to learn who I was as a Mm -hmm. human being and my place was in the world, that that was something that just seemed like natural. Were you getting exposed
2: to it? Like how did you, because um, to me, honestly, you know, you're, you're saying all these things and it's like, well, there's no part of you or your community that has hunting. So were there just like little bits and pieces that were creeping in on the sides and on the edges and people that you met?
1: Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, I, I did have one friend who hunted and um I was really close and still am close friends with his wife and she and I talked about doing a hunter education course together and um we ended up not doing it there. I think maybe she did it online, but I ended up not doing it and but it was something I was intrigued by and I remember talking to him about it and he grew up in the Northeast and, and hunted there and I I was curious. I think I've always been kind of curious around what it entails but it always seemed kind of confusing and overwhelming. So I never really dove into it. I didn't have any mentors, um, but I, I would get little bits and pieces. I would certainly see things on TV or movies or magazines, even in Colorado, there's a big outdoor industry. So, um, I wasn't necessarily part of the hunting outdoor industry, mm. but I was a part of the adventure community. Um, So there were some similarities there and maybe I had picked up some things at trade shows or something like that. I I honestly can't really remember, but I do remember wanting to get into it and I made a very conscious choice moving to Montana because I wanted hunting to become part of my life and not just a thing that I did periodically. I wanted it to become a, a way of life and people in Montana my friends who lived here before I moved here and I would, you know, come up and visit, it seemed like this is just how people live mm. in Montana. of course not everybody, but it was something that I really wanted to surround myself with and immerse myself in. Um, and I was like, you know, if I'm going to learn how to do this, I want to be around people who live this and do it ethically and can can mentor me i didn't have that in colorado and i just didn't connect with the hunting community there There there's a huge hunting community it just wasn't part of my Hmm. you know group Hmm. um so yeah that's that's sort of was there a distinct
2: was there a distinct why like you said is it just a lifestyle change like were you not you you said you were in the adventure space so obviously your lifestyle was full Mm mm-hmm
1: yeah um i I mean, the my why is it's there's a lot of a lot of reasons. I think there's very practical reasons that are um, wanting to. I mean, I love meat, and to me, just the thought. You know, again, being introspective, if something has to die in order for to feed me, in order for me to survive, it seemed like I should be my own personal ethos was that I should be brave enough to take that life. Mm and i love animals i grew up wanting to be a veterinarian so you know wanting to save all the animals so this was something that was hard for me to to really think about but i wanted clean organic healthy meat i didn't want to contribute to the industrial meat um you know industry that we have and i also really wanted to connect more with with nature, with the natural world and learn how, um, learn how to stalk animals. I wanted to, you know, the, the challenge of being out there in the wilderness and, you know, I love, I love shooting. I love archery. I wanted to learn how to combine all of these things in a way that helped me feel in a, in a way more human. And I think it's, it's helped me kind of realize that I'm reconnecting with something. I didn't even know I was missing, Mm. if that makes.
2: No no it makes um, sense.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of reasons for me that um I think are probably pretty common for folks, but this is something that I you know I'm 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 one of the most introspective folks in my in my family. I think about things all the time and um this is something that you know I think I've actually inspired my dad at this point uh to to get into hunting. He did do a hunt once. Um when I was really young, but I don't, I didn't hear about it. It mm. wasn't anything that we really talked about much, but he's wanting to get back into it now that I'm talking about it more and um, kind of inspiring my other family members too. So. Well, it's it, interesting yeah.
2: your family, you know, the way that you described it is essentially the community, uh, the community is the wrong word, the majority of the sector of the population that we're trying to target with our content Mm -hmm. that they're non-hunters don't really have an opinion one way or another Mm
0: -hmm. on
2: hunting don't see it as a bad thing don't see it really in 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 a good way until like someone like you starts exposing them to things that reasons for why you decided to hunt and then they start seeing it in a different light um Mm -hmm. and that's the reason for our content the reason for like you know, when the when the ballot boxes, you know, come forward and hunting is on the ballot box for one reason or another, the people that have no opinion, they may be swayed by stuff that we create. They may be swayed by you in terms of what you've said and how you've said it. And they also are swayed by people that are doing things for the wrong reasons and the, the you know, the nonsense that's tied to our hunting industry. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're the perfect sort of advocate right because you you came from a place of neutrality and you're in a place now that you understand why and you're expressing that to your inner circle and and to your community um it's funny you mentioned the whole like you didn't get into it in montana because your community didn't um have the resources specifically like mentorship to get into it Mm -hmm. and i think I had this podcast, I don't know if the podcast would have been out already by the time we release yours, I had a podcast with some uh, North Carolina state researchers that reached out to 17,000 college students and they undertook a survey. And the first question they asked was, do you hunt? And then they, a, a sub question to that was, if you, if. You know, not if you hunt, but the subset was like, so what demographic are you? White, male, female, different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40, what was the numbers? 57% said they hunted. 97% wow. of that 57% said, or maybe it wasn't 57, maybe it was like 43, but it was a, it was a pretty good number. Yeah, that's that's a big number. But 97% of those were white males. Right. Okay. They had a demographic of like 3% that were like, we don't hunt. There was a smaller, like 18% that um, I've hunted in the past, but don't hunt anymore because I've moved to a city or an urban you know environment kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then the, the statistic that blew their minds and blew my mind. And when you think about the percentage of the population of Americans that hunt, it's about 4%. Okay, generally across the 360 million that we have, we're in the like 14 yeah. million range, something like that. 22% of the 17,000, which when you you statistically increase that across the population of college students, it's almost like 6 to 8 million, that 22%. Mm-hmm. 22% mm-hmm. said... We don't hunt, but we want to learn, or we want to know how to do it. Cool. But we don't know where to start. We don't have mentors. We don't have like the entry, but mm. we know the barrier of entry to, to hunting is high. Yeah. The other coo- The other cool part of the 22% is like male Caucasians were like 12%. The rest Mm -hmm. was female and other ethnicities.
1: That's awesome.
2: Which is crazy to think like 20, it's an enormous number in terms of hunters.
1: Yeah, I can definitely relate. I mean, that was in, you know, the girlfriend I mentioned before, she and I talked about hunting and, you know, we were like, well, maybe we can, maybe her husband could mentor us, you know, and, and he could be the person, but, um, even that wasn't didn't really seem like the right option. Like he, not that he wouldn't have been a good mentor, but it just wasn't something he really wanted to do. He wasn't, he didn't, wasn't called to do it. And there is a huge barrier of entry into this because it's, there's so much information to know and there's, there's so much to learn, there's skills to learn, there's equipment to buy, but even just understanding the hunting regulations in your own state is very confusing. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been incredibly blessed and lucky here in montana to have some wonderful people who who really want to teach you they really want to bring more hunters in into the mix and and share this this thing that they're passionate about with other people and teach them the right ways as well you know they, they want to really help grow this this community but grow it um, and fill it with ethically, um, ethical hunters. So including, including, you know, I have a friend who, um, really encourages taking precision long range, um, courses for, for rifle hunters, because, you know, he really believes that we should be practicing these skills in a way that allows us to take ethical shots and not just to pick up a rifle, you know, once a year
2: kind of thing. So. Let's talk. I don't want to. I don't want to know about the hunt. Mm-hmm. I want to know more about your thought process. Given that you are you know, a neurophysiology PhD, mm-hmm. you you experience this hunt. You get it done. Now the sort of question comes in: What do I do in terms of telling people? about this hunt Mm -hmm. because you got flack for it right
1: i did yeah i you know i on social media i have a very interesting um group of followers because i i sort of cover uh a lot of different areas so even in you know i've obviously the military community there's medical community Um, there's the athlete, you know, adventure athlete community, but I also, uh, because I work with, um, veterans in, um, in healing trauma and healing brain injuries. Some of what I do is in the psychedelic medicine space. And a lot of people who have, um, done psychedelics are vegan and vegetarian, and, um, there are, a lot it's not you know I don't know what the percentage of of folks would be but you know you definitely do tend to um, see that more often in that community and it was a lot of folks it seemed like from that community um, you know I have vegan friends and you know they don't want to see dead animal pictures in their feed Mm -hmm. and I was very thoughtful when I posted the the picture that I did because I know that there is you know that's not what even hunters sometimes don't want to see that but You know, so I was conscious of that choice that I made, but I wanted to share this part of my life that is now a very big part of my life. And it did change a lot about how I see the world, how I view myself, how I view my food. And I I did want to share that mindfully. And I wrote, I spent some time thinking about how I would thoughtfully convey that to people. But I did lose a lot of followers because of that. And I knew that was going to happen, and I totally get it. I unfollow people when I don't want to see stuff that they post all the time in my feed. <laughs> you know, it's part of social media. You sure. have a choice. Sure, and And that's okay. But I was really surprised by how many people – I don't remember what the number was, but I just kept seeing the numbers drop throughout the day, and I was like, people really don't want to see that that kind of thing. And people were not mean or hurtful or anything like that. There were no – Uh, obnoxious comments. And I was really thankful for that. I was kind of bracing myself Mm -hmm. for it. Um, But that thankfully didn't happen. It was really more of just the, um, this isn't a person I want to follow anymore because of this thing that she does. And I understand that and I respect it, you know, and I respect their choice. But it was also something that the other people who stuck around loved i mean the response that i got from other hunters people who didn't hunt but i mean i had a lot of my female friends reaching out saying that they wanted to get into it and That's you know awesome. holy shit, can they learn and come out and i mean it was it was so cool to see that aspect of it too the inspirational side of things um I, yeah so it was it was really interesting and i wanted to really communicate to the people who um were maybe confused and on the fence about how they felt just again why it was such a profound thing this isn't a glory photo this is um me engaging in something that was really an exceptional experience and it's also me finding a way to feed myself to fill a freezer you know this is meat that's going to nourish me for quite some time and uh, it was a you know it was a doe, but it was a big doe. Mm-hmm. She's big and healthy, and I got some incredible meat. The first thing I ate was the heart, mm-hmm. and that was, I mean, the, probably the best thing I've ever tasted. I got really emotional.
2: Really, Yo, so emotional. so tell me it. about that. Why did you get so emotional?
1: You know that I'm a really sensitive person and very, again, you know, I wanted to save all the animals growing up, and you know, was, I love. I love animals and and nature and wildlife. And when I um, put place, when I walked up to her and she was laying in the snow after I shot her and um, she was, you know, dead in 30 seconds, but place, when I placed my hands on her, I just started bawling. And I, because my, my instinct when I walked up to that animal was to like pet it and Mm -hmm. hug it and, Mm -hmm. you know, want to, want to make sure that it was okay. But I had just taken this life and it was this huge mix of emotion for me
2: had you not realized that you had taken its life at the gunshot or was it the realization like when you touched it that was like holy shit
1: i i for sure did when i took the shot but i don't think again this is what i don't think people understand unless they've hunted before um it's such a different experience when you put your hands on that animal Mm. that gave its life for you and you start touching the meat that you're going to be eating and you did that Mm -hmm. that a totally because i've helped friends break down other animals that they've taken and i don't have i mean it's it's emotional but the emotional and that's what i thought i thought it was going to be like that kind of emotion but this kind of emotion for taking the animal myself was very surprising and overwhelming for me and it's totally different and so when i was eating the meat from that animal it I just was remembering that experience and really full of, I mean, I was full of gratitude and there's, there's a lot of sadness there for me too, that life is no longer on this planet. And, you know, I can rationally think through all of this stuff, but the emotional part of me is going to respond the way that it did. Hmm. Um, And I'm okay with that. You know, if I cry every time I <laughs> take a bite of that deer, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll probably be fine. But so far, it's been just just a lot of gratitude. I, I pause and give thanks every time I,
2: I have sure, that meat. Sure, Yeah, and I think it's, as you said, it's a different experience to mm-hmm. getting a ribeye from the store kind of scenario. You don't. And you've said it mm. a couple of times, and I didn't want to cut in when you said it, but there's a different there's a, there's a different level of thinking and thought process that now enters into your brain, one, whilst you're eating that meat.
1: Mm-hmm. But I'm
2: so grateful for, again, someone so new to it. But I think given your education and, giving, and given the thoughtfulness that you put behind, like why you wanted to endeavor into this lifestyle, one of the things that we say all the time in Blood Origins is thinking is going to save hunting.
0: Mm.
2: And so you thought about what picture am i going to put up you thought Mm -hmm. about what am i going to say how am i going to convey this thing that is so meaningful to me Mm -hmm. and to me the more hunters do that and you just influenced a bunch of hunters yourself by doing that you just influenced a bunch of hunters in terms of like oh wow next time i post something i need to Think a little bit more about that just because of what you said and and, and how you posted and that's mm-hmm. to me is is the biggest influence we can have in our hunting community is people just like oh i'm about to post this picture that's going to be a little controversial and they stop and think mm-hmm. mm, maybe i shouldn't do it
1: yeah yeah like what are your intentions
2: you know yeah even if your intentions are pure thinking like, oh, this picture probably is not going to be received the way that I intended to be received. Mm -hmm. So I'll change it. Or I won't post about it. Or I'll just Mm -hmm. send it via iMessage to my best mates and say, hey, look, (laughs) don't share this. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Let me, uh, since you're in the mental health space and you're in the military space, I don't know if you've had any interactions with military veterans and mental health as, it's, as it ties to hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's one of the biggest things. We released a uh, – I don't know if you saw it or not. We, it was called House in the Woods. We released a video um, on Veterans Day about a place in Maine that's called the House in the Woods. And all it does is it takes in veterans and puts them on a bear hunt essentially um, cool. and it, and it's it's a place where military individuals can get together as brethren and open up to the issues that they're having where they wouldn't be able to open up elsewhere to normal people in normal society and mm-hmm. obviously the 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 thing that that is the outdoors and, and the thing that hunting brings to them and like and I'm not a military person I've no military people in my background I'm incredibly grateful for them, and you know who knows if my if my boys grow up into that ro- into that world or not. But can you talk a little bit to that and sort of what you've experienced? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah i I have had some pretty incredible experiences with veterans in a hunting setting. Actually, my first hunt, my first experience hunting was Veterans Day last year, and. It was a veteran hunt camp that was um, put on out here in Montana and it was a group of veterans and we did everything from waterfowl to um, upland bird and um, coyote and, and uh, deer and elk. I mean, we, we kind of did everything that we could and we had different mentors, but who would lead the different hunts. But um, the coolest thing, I got to be a fly on the wall and participate, so I, would, I was able to go out on some of the hunts. And um, I was able to be there kind of as a support too, just in case anybody wanted to talk about anything and and all of that. But what I witnessed was nothing short of incredible. You're getting people who have lost a tribe and a community and a, and a purpose and a in structure and all of these things that the military gives them. And you're you're recreating that in a sense by bringing them together and having this this hunt where we're all going out everybody has a role everybody has a, a something to contribute we're all kind of you know coming together for something bigger than ourselves mm-hmm. and in addition we're out in nature and we're pursuing animals we're putting these skills to use that again like really make you feel alive in your humanness and for people who are dealing with i mean honestly anything it could be trauma it could just be stress it could be injuries traumatic brain injury any of that stuff when you get somebody outside of their normal routine and you put them back into nature and you surround them with peers and people who understand I mean, you just, you feel better and you could see like everybody kind of came with tension and, you know, they weren't sure who each other were and, and are they going to get along? And by the end of it, everybody it was like the shoulders melted down and everybody was relaxed and having an incredible time. And it was that connection with nature and and being outside, which I think has a lot of, um, a lot of incredible benefits. But, you know, even physiologically, if I can get nerdy for a second, I mean, there are a lot of, um, really important, uh, bacteria in the soil even, and on the animals that we touch that we co-evolved with, and that actually helped promote an anti-inflammatory state in our body. And we don't live in connection with nature anymore. Uh, many people on a regular basis, you know, they live in cities and everything is sterile, but that's the other aspect of being out in nature is, you know, honestly, like touching the dirt, touching the animals, being outside. There's a a real physiological benefit that um, improves mental health through these anti-inflammatory pathways. But that stuff aside, it's just being out there with other people who understand. And this pursuit of, of game is... Um, I think it. people don't realize how impactful it can be.
2: Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that science, because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You know, mm-hmm. what does the science say from a neurophysiology perspective?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What happens to people when exposed to the outdoors? Or, And I don't know if there's specific science that says hunting, per se, but because I don't... Is there is there any science that is hunting from a neurophysiology perspective, or is it more just generally outdoors?
1: It's I haven't found anything hunting specific. Um I I could definitely dig into that and, and find out, but in my studies thus far I haven't come across anything. But with regard to to you know the term nature therapy or being in the outdoors, there are a lot of different reasons why it can help somebody and um and improve health mental health physical health and a lot of it is this separation that we have from um, screen time so you know we're always on our phones we're always on a computer screen or staring at a tv screen and that can affect circadian rhythms if we're looking at different types of light at different times of day Typically in nature, hopefully for most people, they're not, you know, bringing TVs with them and hopefully they don't look at their phones very often, but that can definitely help. So just a break from screen time and a resetting of your circadian rhythm to the natural cycle of, of light can be really helpful and help people sleep better. And then there's this old friend's hypothesis around bacteria in the soils that is really powerful. And um, I have a colleague in, in Colorado who studies this and this is his, he's a neuroscientist and he studies these different bacteria and how they can improve basically their immunomodulators they uh, help your immune system in a way that promotes this anti-inflammatory profile in your gut on your skin and and throughout your whole system including your brain and all of that helps that the control of that inflammation helps really um, improve mental health so we know from the, the literature that mental health suffers when you have inflammation and you know that can promote infl- inflammation from a number of causes, can promote depression, anxiety, um, can make somebody more susceptible to developing post-traumatic stress disorder after trauma. Um, there's a lot of, of research around this. And so the bacterial old friends hypothesis is probably one of the main drivers. Mm-hmm. So I always joke about people like laughing out in nature and having a good time and like, Eating, you know, like accidentally getting some soil in their mouth when mm-hmm. they're just smiling or laughing all the time. Like, that's a good thing. Not that everybody should just go eat soil, handfuls of soil, <laughs> but, like, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe a handful would be good. <laughs> well, but, it's almost uh, to
2: the point of your kids let your kids eat some dirt when they're growing up stuff, totally. you know?
1: yeah i mean it's the same with the animals the animals live in nature and they're covered with these bacteria because they sleep in the dirt so when we in theory handle these animals and we're touching you know the 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 carcass and handling that we're in a sense getting that bacteria back as well and if you pack out an animal or you have a hide or you know you just if it's small enough and you can throw it on your you know backpack or you know even if you quarter it out you're still touching hide in a way that hopefully is you're getting some of that bacteria Mm -hmm. back on your skin and and then you know you know people talk about hand washing now and it's such a big deal but i mean if you know if you don't wash your hands and you have a sandwich or a snack or something after touching an animal from the wild um, you know, you're, you're actually ingesting these healthy bacteria too. And and there could be some that are maybe not healthy. So
0: just Dr.
2: Dr. Pate is not suggesting do not wash your hands and get healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a, uh, use your brain, <laughs> use some common sense here. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's another big one. Um, uh, I actually had, had put together some, um, kind of a structure of a paper i wanted to write about this so um there's a lot a lot of a ton of research around spending time in nature and the benefits on on human physiology and mental health but there's a lot even focused on veterans in particular um that show the benefit to this so yeah hunting is obviously um adds adds a whole other element that i think could be beneficial
2: Mm -hmm. no we 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 see it all the time obviously we engage with we don't engage with as many veterans as you do, but those that we do engage with just cannot, you know, stop saying how hunting at times saved their lives. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a, something that they needed at the time because severe depression, severe, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, don't know how yeah. I can connect with myself again. And something about the outdoors and hunting, not just outdoors mm-hmm. and hiking. But, you know, that hunting just gave them this thing that's almost, I don't know if it gave them a little bit of the the military past that they loved so much because it was tied to a weapon and being able to do all the things that they were familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely something that, that we know really speaks to veterans and their mental health.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean, I have friends who got out of the military and wanted nothing to do with firearms for a while and it wasn't until they got back into hunting or got into hunting that they picked one up and that changed their relationship with with a rifle, for example, um in a really positive way. And there are some really cool nonprofits out there, um a handful of them here in Montana that do take hunt uh veterans hunting as part of their program, and it could be like a week long retreat type of thing, or you know sometimes they they teach them different skills and then it builds throughout the year and culminates in a mm-hmm. big hunt community and um it's really cool to see and it does i mean these are programs that are saving people's lives
2: hundred percent hundred percent yeah well, I don't think you're going to be hunting in minus twenty eight degree weather in Montana unless you are.
1: No, not today. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take the day off.
2: (laughs) Any more hunts in the future?
1: Yeah, I'm still planning. Um, We have a shoulder season here for elk in Montana. Shoulder season? Yeah, we can hunt antlerless uh, elk um, for the next little bit. Why do they Uh, call it
2: shoulder season?
1: Um. That's a, I don't know where the term actually comes from, but it's, it's past our regular rifle season, which ended at the end of November. And then this shoulder season continues. And essentially we can take a cow uh, or antlerless elk um, uh, up to, I think it's, I'd have to check the date, but I I think it's sometime in maybe February 15th in certain blocks. So there's private, there's private land or that's in block management, Mm
0: -hmm,
1: um, so so I I haven't filled my elk tag and I'd like to have some healthy meat for the year. So I will be back out there soon. And I've seen, I've been driving around, I've been seeing big herds. So kind
2: of nowhere to go. Yeah, I killed a uh, cow elk in Southern Colorado. First time I've ever killed an elk and um, Mm. brought the entire meat home, 16 hour journey, and then had to buy an additional freezer because I did not have enough space. Mm Mm-hmm. So be Good prepared. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> be prepared.
1: Yeah, I got plenty of room in my freezer. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, well, Kate, I'm just um, as I said, I was super excited for the conversation. Um, I enjoy Thank nerding you. out on sciency topics, as Cody tells me all the time. Um, <laughs> and welcome to the tribe, and you know we're proud to have you as a member, and even more proud of the thoughtfulness that you have put into the endeavor and the, the, the thoughtfulness that you continue to do in in it and, and who you influence through your through your community. So
1: thank you so much.
2: Really appreciate it. Reach out to us anytime if you need anything. Um if people want to follow you where can they find you?
1: Um I, probably the best place would be Instagram. I'm doc pate on there. Doc and... underscore pate right uh, it uh doc Pate? Doc, period. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And I'm, I'm getting my, um, my coaching and educational website up soon. That's the uh, this is the wayback.com.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Kate, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure it's not going to be the last time we talk. So
1: <laughs> thank you so much.
2: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always.